Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. entitled The Omniscient Point of View of an Unrequainted Love. So I guess she's sort of uh, into that whole teen drama, uh, perhaps school drama kind of vibe. I think that's her wheelhouse. I haven't seen a romantic comedy K-drama series in a while, so uh, this was a very welcome show for me. I think the last show that I wanted to see that happened to be a romantic comedy was hometown cha-cha-cha and that was a that was, that was a little while ago so I was very happy to see this one because it actually piqued my interest we all know Kim Tami because we've seen her in Itaewon class I'm impressed by Kim Tami's acting career because she's very young and she's already done quite a few films and tv shows that have a lot of success and her roles have also been at times quite daring. For instance, the films that she's in, they're all like thrillers or horror. And I think they're very physically and emotionally taxing. So that's impressive to see. She definitely has range. She also has a very youthful look to her. I've been rewatching some Korean dramas from like 20 years ago. And watching Chiju back then is alarming because even though she's in her early to mid-20s on those shows, she still looks pretty old. Yeah, but to her credit, Chiju has maintained her look over the last two decades, and she hasn't changed very much, so there's that. Che Ushik is the actor who portrays Che Ung on this show, and Che has a very long career with multiple films and TV shows under his belt, spanning over 10 years now, and he made his debut back in 2011. Uh, but he's been in very well-known Korean films that caught both Europe and Hollywood's attention, like Train to Busan and, of course, Parasite. Che is Korean, but he lived in Vancouver for a bulk of his life, so he's also very fluent in English. I also recall seeing Che in that Chang Hyuk slash Chang Nara reunion TV show, Fated to Love You, and he had this comedic supporting role on that show, and he was quite good. So Che also has range as an actor and it was interesting to see him in the lead role in a rom-com like i i just don't see an actor like him playing a lead in a rom-com it's also very different because i mean chewishik has been playing a lot of supporting characters in tv shows and films up until now i guess it took a palm door and an oscar winning film for him to get the lead in a romantic comedy which from what i hear a lot of male actors dream is to do a romantic comedy like at least once in their lives and that's understandable actors with looks like chewishik don't normally get cast in lead roles in rom-coms i would say that this kind of casting is an anomaly because he doesn't have the conventional look of a hot hunk but given the quirkiness of chewing's character as an artist and his overall laxness that harbors anxiety over abandonment as an adoptee i thought chewishik was the perfect 
actor for this role. We've all seen how fastidious Kim Dami was as Choi Seo in Itaewon class, so it was no surprise for me to see her in a similar role on this show, where she's somewhat tightly wound and very goal-oriented and focused. I personally did not think that Kim Dami and Choi Seo had chemistry as a couple on this show, but they definitely have an excellent platonic chemistry. Like when they play the sort of roughhousing high school kids who, you know, tease each other, hate each other, nag each other. I felt like they were a lot more fitting in that role. But whenever there were romantic scenes between them, it felt extremely awkward. And I had to fast forward pretty much all of it. Yeah, I, I fast forwarded a lot of this show when they got a little too... I don't know, ooey gooey. In Our Beloved Summer, what stood out to me was Cheung's parents. Normally in K-dramas, there's a common theme of the dysfunctional family, and it's largely attributed to the incompetent parents and trauma stemming from that, which leads to the character's development. But Cheung's parents are so loving and so supportive, right? Of course, we later learn that they had suffered the loss of their first child, and Ungi was adopted as their second son but seeing well-adjusted parents being that supportive of their child that's somewhat alienating for me to witness all right like parents are often framed in very flawed ways in korean dramas and that's more of what i'm used to seeing so to see this show i don't know what it tells me is that there's a generational shift taking place in korea and gen x parents are less toxic than the baby boomer parents and as a result, the kind of damage that gets inflicted on the child, the child being of a late millennial or early Gen Zer, is very different as well. So in the case with Ungi, the damage is feeling unmotivated. Like that's that's his that's his bag. Okay, like that's that's a huge difference. That's a drastic difference from characters who had parents who were alcoholics or wife beaters or child beaters or thugs and prostitutes, okay? Like that's more of what I'm used to seeing. In my own academic work, I argue that Korean dramas in the last decade have been exhibiting first world problems, which is quite tangential to the developing nation issues that South Korea dealt with not too long ago in its history, which were reflected in many Korean dramas from the 1990s and from the early millennium. A lot of it has to do with hunger, for instance, poverty, dislocation, dispossession, okay? These kinds of issues that plagued Korean TV dramas from those eras, those were echoes of issues that were dealt with during the Korean War and in the early post-Korean War years. After recovering from the IMF recession in Korea and shortly after the 2008 and 2009 economic recession, Korean television made very active steps to focus on first world problems like getting by in a white collar setting or facial and bodily appearances being the main issue, like you've seen in shows like She Was Pretty, which stars Kim Hye-jin and Park Seo-jun, or Oh My Venus, starring So ji and Shin Mina. Okay, these are very different shows from something like Piano, which came out in 2001, and it's about mixed families dealing with poverty and shame and death. Okay, so very, very different stuff. Today's guest is Mike Rose. 
He's an LA-based comedian who was originally trained as a dancer, and he's a good hiking buddy of mine. And I want to set you up for this podcast talk, which is going to be full of spoilers on a Sean Baker film called Red Rocket. It came out last year, and it is still in theaters. Uh, We talk a lot about the movie. In fact, the whole episode is basically about Red Rocket. So if you plan on seeing the film, I would say save the rest of this episode for after you see the movie, which I highly recommend because it is an amazing movie. And for those of you who don't know Sean Baker, he's the filmmaker who made Florida Project and Tangerine. He also made amazing films like Takeout and Starlet. If you haven't seen his movies, I say get into them. They're worth seeing. I think Sean Baker is one of America's most original contemporary filmmakers that we have. And we're lucky to catch his movies in the theaters. So I would say go and do it. If you want to hear the flashcard series uh, on this podcast, on our beloved summer, Mike and I do have that discussion. So you could skip to the last 10 minutes of this episode if you'd like. But do check out Red Rocket and do listen to the rest of this podcast episode because I think the two of us have a really meaningful textual analysis of Red Rocket as a movie. So without further ado, let's talk to Mike Rose. Have you ever read Louise Hay's books? No, what are those? She does like uh, metaphysics. She's into metaphysics. Hmm. I haven't. No, Louise Hay, she wrote this book she wrote several books, but she's like one of those like healer type women, you know, like she she was a model and then she got a divorce and then she had cancer and then she moved to Los Angeles and got into the whole like hippie groove shit, right? And uh, she's into metaphysics and she said that migraines are caused by perfectionism. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And I got I got my first migraine in the pandemic. Really? Mm-hmm. Were you putting yourself under a lot of pressure during the pandemic? Oh gosh, there was so much. Um, oh yeah. Um, and then like my mom passing. Right. Um, and it was it was like um, I wasn't going to Pilates because that wasn't happening. So like all my exercise was like hiking. Oh, that's which right. was just lots of tightening and. And um, I remember it coming on, like, I just felt like this thing in the back of my head, like, as if, like, an egg had been cracked inside, like, yeah. and then all of a sudden it just went, and I had this terrible, Yeah. I was texting people, like, what are migraines? What do they feel like? Because <laughs> I've never had one. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awful. It's awful. And then it. I like I went grocery shopping. I put the the bags down and just yeah. like, came and like laid in my bed for a second to like yeah. decompress. Yeah, and then I was like, I can't put away the groceries. I'm just gonna mm. stay here for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The dogs aren't gonna go out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then that led to a whole body. Um, went to my my back, my lower back. I could like barely walk. That's Crazy. insane. Yeah. No, it's fucked up. Migraines are like, it's immobilizing. When I get them, they're immobilizing. And you know what she said the solution to migraines are? This is her suggestion. She said masturbate. (laughs) 
<laughs> What's funny is I had masturbated and then I felt like that's what I, if anything, I was blaming my masturbation for this migraine. Like, <laughs> no. like I was tensing my body or something. <laughs> no, no, she said it's like a form of release, tension release. So masturbation offers tension release. And um, so it's like one aspect of it. But I guess, you know, you could find tension release through crying. I mean, we talked about that when we were hiking. Like crying is definitely a good reset into for the equilibrium. Laughing is also the same as crying if it's like a real laughter. You know, I did a show yesterday and I, I love the sight of those few people where it's not like a big laugh, but there's like, it's like a warm tepid response in terms of the sound but you see like several people in the audience who are like doubled over like silently guffawing you know like trying to catch their breath like that to me is more worth it than an actual like big ass laugh you know what i'm saying because it's like oh those speckled few who are really having a moment you know and that's tension release like because you're you're holding your whole body in like this but but you're still breathing, trying to breathe, and then and then it's like you relax and you start breathing again, and it's this tension reset, like you, you release it. So anyway, yeah, she said masturbation helps with the migraines, and, she, and I'm like, usually when I have a migraine, the last thing I want to do is jerk off, you know. Well, that's your assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in my book. If you want to bookend that masturbation with me, if that is helpful. <laughs> I'm here for you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Let's talk about Red Rocket a bit. I mean, we saw this film a few weeks ago over at the Grove. Very interesting place. Highly anticipated. Yes. At the Grove at the height of Christmas. At the height of Christmas. And we got to see Santa waving. We got to see the fake snow, the bubbles. Right? Yeah. That was sweet. Santa was on the trolley. Yeah. Far away. We no one could sit on his lap this year. No, no. I mean, yeah, it was it was kind of like a safe, respectful distance <laughs> between Santa and us. Which is good because usually there's that like ginger giant gingerbread house in the middle. Uh-huh. And like parents are lined up with their right. children dressed in outfits and At like the mall, yeah. It's the lines blocking everything, a lot of weird energy weird energy it's a showstopper it's it's actually kind of bizarre like what a job to have like to be that santa and have like all these kids strangers kids sit on your lap sit on your lap over and over tell me what you want and it and it's not like you're gonna fulfill that for them you're just listening yeah yeah you're yeah i'd be like you're an imposter yeah kid i can't do this for you i would (laughs) i wouldn't be able to do it It's such a strange ritual. Like, and it's like, do the parents have to be within earshot so that they can hear? You know, is that like how the parents fulfill the kids' dreams? You know, what if like the parents do hear it, but they don't follow up with it because it's like they can't because of fiscal limitations or whatever. And then, and then it's like the kid opens their gift on Christmas morning, like this is what I asked for. And then, what do the parents have to say to that? Yeah, I. Because I was a kid who was like, this isn't what I asked for. One time I asked for rollerblades, and I would, even in my list I put, like, trademark. I, like, made the TM circle. <laughs> I want rollerblades. I do not want the Veriflex ones from Target. Yeah. I want rollerblades. Uh-huh. But I think that was, like, as a kid, I was all – I was taking part in Christmas, which is where you ask for what you want. Right. And then, like, capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like, now I wouldn't be like, whatever, don't get me that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me anything. Let's go to lunch. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then whenever that's portrayed on television, like this kid on Santa's lap, it's always full of tension. Yeah. <laughs> and the parents are like, tell him you want this thing. Remember to tell him you want this. Cause the, the, the parents already bought that thing. Oh, right. Oh, okay. There's that too. The sort of gaslighting. This the, whole gaslighting, the charade. The shepherding them into asking for the thing that the parents already got, but not what's in the kid's heart. I guess mm-hmm. there are those overbearing kinds of parents too, I suppose. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a fucked up world, huh? And then there's Santa, the fake imposter Santa, witnessing it all. <laughs> well, what did I hear? I heard that Santa's origins, you know, have nothing to do with Christianity. No, it's a pagan it, thing. Yeah, and it was something about, like, going out to get things, and by the time you came back, the snow had, there had been so much snowfall that, like, it was so high that they had to enter through the chimney. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. And that they decorated trees with, like, you know, berries or things like that, and that's how uh-huh. the Christmas tree and ornament thing came about yeah. which is so much more interesting than it is the it Christian is sort of story. it's also it's also linked to mushrooms you know the amanita mushroom no tell me it's the red one with the white spots oh yes 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 the classic quintessential <clears throat> mushroom so the amanita mushrooms people say are poisonous but they're actually not they're not psilocybin either so they're not like psychedelic mushrooms but they do have two kinds of acid compounds that cause hallucinations so uh it was kind of like like um you know elk like elk and reindeer, they like to eat those mushrooms, apparently. Um, and when people eat them, like in Russia, like when they eat them or they boil it and then drink the fluid from the mushroom, they become like severely intoxicated and start hallucinating. And then they'll start riding the reindeer. And it's like, that's also linked to the whole like mythology around Christmas. The red and white colors of the Amanita mushrooms is like what makes that Santa's outfit. Um, so yeah, it's like also the mushrooms are also tied to that whole pagan. That's ritual. way more interesting <laughs> <laughs> than this whole Jesus and the baby thing, right? Yeah. Uh, but they all they are it's all like mythology that comes together, you know, like it's not I don't see them as like separated really. They're, you know, today in present day uh our concept of Christmas is like all of those things intertwined mm-hmm. in a way. Mhm. And, and we determine Christmas for ourselves, right? Like, we're the child asking for whatever we want, and then we go and fucking get it for ourselves. The rollerblades that you wanted. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we went to the Grove. We saw Red Rocket. You had asked me if I wanted to see Red Rocket, and it was a very welcome invitation because I'm a huge Sean Baker fan, and I knew nothing about this film. I didn't know a single thing about it. How did you come to learn about this movie? Um, I follow Sean on Instagram. And I think after Florida Project, I reached out to him on Instagram. Yeah. And he responded back like, you know, like he wasn't this great filmmaker. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Yeah. yeah, And I, because I had mentioned how similar Florida project was to my experience with some of my family who lived like on the outskirts of um, Anaheim. And what did you, you meant, you said this great term edge of industry. That was such Mm -hmm. a great term. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I saw similar, uh, similar stories, similar perspectives. So I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. And then I just been at, at that point with Tangerine and um, the Florida Project. It was just like, okay, well, I'm going to see everything this guy yeah. makes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Red Rocket, I knew Simon Rex was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I knew he was playing, uh, I don't know, a, a failed porn star or a uh-huh. washed up porn star. Right. And you um, knew quite much about Simon Rex's celebrity history. Well, yeah, because I connected that to this, I guess, you know, this jackoff video that had been circulating. I don't yeah. even know how it was circulating back then because what, what was on the internet? How was the internet working then? Because <laughs> um, this was probably in 90... Five or ninety six that this video got made, um, and so to me it was this instant like built in like oh this vindication this um, redemption for Simon Rex who like back then you couldn't have a jackoff video and now it's like that's a career starter or then it was yeah. a career ender <laughs> yeah fucking Paris Hilton Kim Kardashian hello. No kidding. Right? Yeah. And it's and it's like actually if you think about it maybe it's a stigma too like for a straight woman to go and put that out there maybe it it becomes like okay she's going to go and monetize off of this but he's a straight man mm-hmm. and it's like perhaps even the fact that a lot of gay men watch this video you know yes. maybe it's catered to the gay male gaze and maybe that is also what hurt his career because of the gay association perhaps yeah his content was not for straight white men there you go there you go yeah um and he has a huge penis so i'm sure that was like (laughs) it's gorgeous the insecurity of men (laughs) (laughs) he has an amazing cock and um and and you also made this great uh you know sort of connection when you were like i mean he was able to play this role so well because he has that experience of having been this teen movie star mm-hmm. and having this burgeoning budding career and then it just kind of came to a standstill because of this sex video scandal and and like even when i saw him on the big screen i was like he has that look very familiar. I know this look. It's from my past when I was a teen, and yet I can't place, you know, where I, where I've seen him in last. Like I couldn't. Well, in quintessential '90s guy, where those guys, like I don't know, like um, Seth Green, Matthew Lillard, like yeah. kind of like yeah. alternative geeky, mm, robot chicken. Yeah, not muscles and like. Mm. But this sort of like uh, Simon Rex was on the cover of Details, I believe. So like huh. Details magazine that yeah. that era. Yeah. Um, it's so funny that he was an MTV VJ and like. like oh my god! That's so funny. I love that. Yeah. Did you know? Yeah. He someone he was dating. I, did I not think know was. That. Mm-hmm, he and it wasn't. It was dating. It wasn't Tara Reid. I assume. I'm not, I forget she this story. She dated so many VJs. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, <laughs> that's a course you can take. <laughs> VJ, yeah. VJ your way to the top. Um, 
<laughs> but I guess someone he was dating was going to MTV for some kind of job. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he was there, they were like, hey, who are you? Yeah. Um, do you want to be a VJ? And, um, and he became a VJ. And then I saw some clip where he was stoned and like, we need, it, we need you to interview Snoop Dogg. And like, I think it was Snoop Dogg. Someone mm-hmm. else who would, it would make sense they were stoned too. So like, there's this like video, this interview of them, both of them stoned. It's great. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he's such an interesting person because I guess even like being approached to become a VJ, it's like really for the look, right? Like a lot of those teen movies and MTV in, in the late nineties, early two thousands, it was always about the look. If you for had sure. the look, it didn't matter who the fuck you were or how talented you were, what your background was, what training you had, didn't matter. You were going to be on TV. And he had that look. But when, when I was watching this film, I was so, I mean, I think we were both impressed by his acting chops. Like he's really, he really brought it. So funny. Hilarious and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And playing many layers and um, Let's capturing name one layer. Let's name one layer that he was playing. Like we'll start with one. There's so many layers. To his his outward um, charisma to get by and get through the door. There was that aspect, and and it's linked to his self image and the image that he projects outwardly. Because you you says you said this because you know you're a dancer and <clears throat> you were like just see how when he was at the donut shop, he was just like, oh, it's just half, half a donut, right? Because he was mm-hmm. con- conscious yes. about his, there were, his body. I forget, I forget what the other moment was. There were two moments where I was like, oh, it sort of lightly touches upon perhaps an eating disorder, his body, yeah. his yeah. Uh, keeping himself in shape, being doing uh-huh. porn. Uh-huh. I love how it was so lightly referenced because yeah. his character was as, as a victim of, you know, so many societal woes. hundred um, percent. Yeah. And he himself was, you know, who's talking about um, male body image issues and uh-huh. eating disorders. Like that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And it's usually like eating disorders are typically tied to like young teenage girls or young women and he has this relationship with this young woman, a teenager, and she's working at a donut shop. And it's like, oh, they're kind of the same, you know, in a lot of ways. Like, on the one hand, he has like the life experience and the sort of washed upness and, you know, the the drama and the scars and the trauma and the the, the bad morals so to speak, in him, right? And yet he also has this like childlikeness to him, a childlike vulnerability to himself. Uh, And I feel like that perhaps was connecting with this young woman, the little, the girl at the donut shop in some ways, like perhaps that was sort of the relate, the relating, you know? Yeah, young and beautiful, Mm. Um, their sex appeal mm-hmm. and that character perhaps never evolved out of that, you know, that sort of yes. man child. Yes. yes. It is stagnated and there's a recklessness to the both of them. Right. 
like not thinking about the consequences of their actions. And that's a very teen-like spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas for her, like perhaps she could get away with that because she's still a teen and she's still growing. But for a man to be in his 40s, right? I mean, he's either 40 or pushing 40s. And to mm -hmm. still be that way is like, is like, what the fuck? And what's also interesting, like how you said that he is a victim of the system, which he is, he's a victim of that whole Hollywood, like not even, it's not even Hollywood center. It's again, edge of industry, right? You have the Hollywood industry, but then the porn industry is like at the outskirts, the edge of Hollywood, you know, like in the Valley, you have all the porn mansions, you know, where mm -hmm. they film porn. And that was his career, but it's like, Oh, he's old now. He's washed up. Fuck this guy, you know, like kick him out. And that poverty leads him to going and looking for the next prey to pimp her out, to use her as a, a career booster, which is what he did with his first wife, the wife that he's still married to, but separated from. She was that for him, right? Like when they first started out. Mm -hmm. And he's <clears throat> sort of going back home, like the homecoming of it and like mm. his tail in between his legs. Yeah. And uh, all his survival skills are presenting. Yeah. Uh, I think the first, we very once he's, he's staying with um, the, you know, current slash ex-wife yeah. um, and her mom. Yeah. And he has to bas basically beg, like, please let me stay here. Yes. <clears throat> and they're resistant. And shortly into him staying there, his shirt comes off. And I'm like, that's, uh -huh. he's, that's part of it. Like, oh, my shirt's off. Yeah. Yeah. How could you possibly have yeah. a bad thought? Because look at me. Right. And he's even naked in the kitchen at one point. Like his, mm -hmm. his mother-in-law walks in <laughs> and he's butt ass naked. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oops, uh-oh, I'm just naked. <laughs> right. Those and are his how, resources. Yeah, yeah. And and how he has to determine his or justify his um, stay at that house to be like, well, you need a man in the house. You need a man in the house, right? Mm -hmm. And it's contingent upon the the presumed weakness of these women to be like, you're weak, ladies, so you need me to be here. And how that that logic is actually covering up the fact that he's a bum. And wherever he got that shiner from, kicked out from, showed up on the doorstep with nothing in his pocket and just be like, I need to stay here, but insist that he's there to protect them. He's there to mow the lawn. He's there to provide, right? It's all a lot. And yeah, yeah, creating a valid family unit because, and they are part of it too. And uh, their generation and then the mother's generation it's like oh well we will seem more legitimate we're right. here doing drugs right out in the sticks yeah and, <laughs> oh now we have a man we have a uh, an attractive man who looks good with his shirt off yeah who is, now we're more legitimate right it's like this uh superficial validation the superficial bona fide legitimacy like we have a handsome white straight man who is giving us the seal of approval. And that's oftentimes how white men get by in society, right? It's just their look. They look mm -hmm. white. They are white. They are handsome. They can talk it up. Yeah, they have the right. confidence. 
they have the confidence, right? The, it, and it's a feigned confidence. It is. Yeah, they have to learn that confidence. They have. To, uh, it will work if I do this. If I mm -hmm. if I perform this confidence exactly. as a white man, it it's will be purchased. It will be bought. Mm, it will be bought. <clears throat> it will get eaten up, and it's so fragile. It's so fragile. It's like looking at. It's literally looking. It's like looking at a cracker and being like, "How is this ever going to make it?" It's not. It's like, <laughs> it's apart. The birds are going to eat it up. And um, what's also fascinating is like how everybody outside of him and his identity, they're all mar like quote unquote marginalized people, people who are marginal to our society who are not white, male and hetero, right? Like the, the weed dealer family, right? They're all black. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them is definitely queer, right? Or, she's, mm -hmm. or they're non-gender binary, but you know, she goes by she and her. And then you have the, um, and they're all, and they're women too. The women are the ones who have this power. They're the, the homeowners, really, the domestic managers, right? And they, the men in their life are sort of lackeys. Yes, exactly. Like the, her sons mm -hmm. are, you know, and then the daughter has, or, you know, however yeah. they identify, has really yeah. like, they have had to, become independent and they have and yeah. that's why it is him coming to them doesn't necessarily fly they mm. aren't looking for a savior nope um nope women of color having to become their own savior <clears throat> exactly exactly and and it's like they they already have like their business rolling you know um, like they already know how to do it. They, they're, they've been doing it. What was her name? Is it June? I think her name was June, the daughter. Yeah. 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 June yeah. is the name. And then, uh, Leandria, I guess is the mother. Leandria. Yeah. 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 So it's like Leandria and June Judy Hill. Judy Hill played Play Leandria and Brittany Rodriguez played June. Played June. Yes. And they're the ones that are like making the money have the cash flow and then the brothers like Leandria's sons are like complaining about why did you move the hot sauce <laughs> <laughs> she has to get up and go into the house to locate and find the hot it, sauce and find it for find it for him like so not self-sufficient for something that they want to go and get them like they could go and get themselves or something that they want but they need a woman to go and fucking fetch it for them and Leandria gets up and goes and gets it for her fucking son, right? Um, and it's that same sort of, I don't know, compassion that welcomes uh, Simon Rex's character. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, you need, you're here. Because maybe her first line is, um, was it like, what are you doing here, yeah. Mr. Hollywood? What brings you uh -huh. back here, Mr. Hollywood? Yeah, um, yeah to the shits, and yeah. He's, and then he, she gives him the chance, the opportunity here. Yeah. Yeah. I will give you this chance to take care of yourself. Right. Right. And like, it's like that again. Yeah, you're right. That comes from a place of compassion. It comes from like this motherly love kind of thing. It also comes from how women were conditioned in society too, you know, to always mm -hmm. just be like, okay, boys will be boys and fine. Let me try. But it's like these women already know, like they've been around all the blocks of these young fucking man boys, which is that they're always going to fuck it up. 
that they're useless. That yeah. male that male uselessness comes up time and time again, even when June and the the brothers break in and show up and kick Simon Rex's character, kick Mikey out of that house, right? Towards the end, when they're like, get the fuck out of the house, get out of this town. If we ever see you here, we'll kill you. And June is the one that's really delivering the lines. The men are just kind of standing around, not doing <laughs> jack shit, right? And they and then when they go up back to Leandria, the mother, the 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 matriarch, they're like, "Well, I was there for protection. I'm the muscle." And then June is like, "You didn't do jack shit. You just stood there and you let him get away, right?" And this younger generation, she represents a younger generation who is uh, queer. Mm. It's not specified how this character mm -hmm. identifies. Mm -hmm. um, presents as you very know, masked, masked, very mask, very mask. Yep, and which is to watch Mikey's character try to pour on the charm to like, how do I turn June? How do I get her on my side? How do I manipulate right. her into right. not looking at me with that like skeptical Ooh. eye? And she doesn't. She, she never she lets is impenetrable. Impenetrable. She has boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she's just not his audience at all. Not, not at all. It. Not having it. Won't it, work right? here. Never. It's like, what What the hell are you even doing around me, in my vicinity, in my face, in my home, in my backyard? Yeah, it's like, that's such a good point. And then and it's you, manipulative, but it's also, it is yeah. how he survives. So it's like, of course, he's trying yeah. to do that because he needs to feel some sort of stability and safety yeah. that comes with, she accepts me too. And she's not looking at me with this, you know, this exactly. eye. And that's all he knows how to do because that's what he's done since he was like a late teen, early 20s. And that's how he got by for two decades. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like he needs to go and verbally insist that he has value and that he's needed among these women. But it's like the world has changed and, you know, we all see through you and you're just a washed up fella who's trying to pimp out more chicks and everybody's done with you. Right. Um, let's talk. And about he's lived the, this life. Yeah. He's lived this life, which is so unconventional. It, like yeah. his life didn't follow the rules of family and this mm -hmm. is what it is. So he's out there mm -hmm. breaking the rules, but then selling the idea of traditional family here, here you can have a man in your life yeah. to, like get in yeah yeah he's like yeah i mean in a way you know like you said earlier he is like a victim to the system in a lot of ways and it, it's it's a it's seen it's seen as a victimhood from our perspective as a third party you know like looking at it from that wider sort of broad perspective of the whole system and the structure of and the way of things um as a bigger thing like we also see how it can be disdainful right it's like in a way it's the comeuppance right like this film is critiquing or observing the fact that straight white hetero maleness cis maleness is just not gonna fly anymore you need to bring more if you say you're a provider you do have to provide if you say you're you a must provide you do have to protect. If you say you are these things, you have to actually show that through action, not just your words and not just your pretty fucking face and your nice cock. 
Right. And that first scene where like he shows up and they're like, we're going to, I'm going to call the cops unless you get off my property. And he's so like, Oh, and he runs to the sidewalk and he's so at, at their, um, uh, he, he needs in that moment. Mm-hmm. He is uh, in need and he's following directions because mm-hmm. that's how he has to be. And mm-hmm. look, I need this. And, um, it's it's like okay, then he let he comes in and he inevitably becomes you know, all the all the negatives, all the uh, manipulativeness and the abuse, the the ways yeah. some pe- people abuse. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's form of exploitation of like it's like oh okay the system is rigged for me for my advantage and let me go and abuse it and and then Lonnie is an interesting character in that regard too right he's a straight white. You know, I love Lonnie. Lonnie is so interesting, like so complicated, so complex. He's this skinny dude. Uh, He, as far as we know, he doesn't have a job. He lives with his father. His mother had just died. And he goes to the mall pretending to be a vet, a war vet. A veteran, yeah. Yeah. To get sympathy, to get donations whatever it is but then turns out he was not he did not serve that is so interesting because like i don't perhaps his maleness does he feels emasculated or he doesn't feel like this successful man Mm. and he has to the rugged create that for himself yes the rugged man and yeah he's probably never been seen as like Oh, you're just Lonnie or something. Right. Which is why he's so susceptible to Mikey being like, hey, let's be buddies. Drive me Uh around. Let's be friends. He's so in need of a connection like that. Yeah, yeah. In need of a friend. Yeah. And, and yeah, like Lonnie's lack of self-worth and self-value and his need to pretend to be something that he's not is is it's quite similar to to mikey too to simon rex's character um the scene when or not the scene but the whole like the part of the film when mikey goes like oh we have to get off this exit and then lonnie makes that sharp turn leads to this humongous pileup accident and they're both like freaking out and shaking and then simon again he uses it he uses his words against Lonnie, right? The only thing that he has. And he says, you were the one that was driving. You were the one that was behind the wheel. That was your choice to do that, right? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. My, yeah, the, my first, uh, first on the agenda, shift blame. Yeah. Uh, ref, refuse any accountability yeah. that is so important to him in that moment yeah. to, and to really believe it himself. Mm-hmm. I was not here. Here's what's important to me right now. Yeah. Not considering you, not considering my act. Like it is, which again, <laughs> survival. All survival. Um, all survival. Um, and this sort of like, oh no, oh no, I'm in this place. Again, we repeat that. I'm I'm sad and desperate little baby. Yeah. Uh, and then later when it, he sort of gets away with it or something when he sees it on the news and he goes to the backyard and he's like, yes, yes, yes. He then uh, 
as soon as he acquires that safety, that perceived safety, he goes right back to mm-hmm. this his old, old ways. ways. It's his so, old fucking ways. He, he can't resist. And then, and it's him not taking responsibility for something that he fucked up on, which is what he's been always doing, always getting away with. But who sees him do that? Lonnie's father in the backyard mm-hmm. sees him doing that dance. And Lonnie's father knows it all, right? Knows exactly. In that moment, yeah. Knows everything. And he's not even going to do shit about it. He's just going to sit there, look at him with that look of judgment and disdain, right? And that's it. That's all he's going to do. And that's enough to to be that big of a man, to be like, that's enough, you know? Uh, that's plenty. I gave him the look. He knows it. I know it. I don't need to do jack shit. I don't need to react to this. That is like... I don't know. That's equanimity in some way, you know? Yeah. And, and, and he even knows that he, all the denial that he has to Mm -hmm. participate in, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's gosh, how exhausting. (laughs) It is exhausting. It's similar actually to the way he has to hustle weed you know, in order to get by, like you have to sell these tiny little joints and you have to roll them and you have to sell them to school kids. And it's like, you make little money like this, little money like that. It's like desperation, but, and it's a lot of little, little tiny, petty, tedious work. But then, you know, it's like, that's the only thing he has. So he does it. Right. He's really, he's really good at that though. It's like in that moment, he's like, great, I got this. I got to get my special papers. And then I got to go do this and I give some, some weed and I t- like, he really knows how yeah. to navigate that. And yeah, he does. Yeah. What he really could have done that in an ethical way without fucking over, um, Leandria. Yeah. Like who said, don't really sell to the workers. Th- yeah. Yeah. She said, don't and mess with big oil. Don't do that. But that's exactly what he does. Right. Yeah exploitation Mm. and the american flag um rolling papers (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and you know like i i loved what you said at the opening of the film when instincts bye 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 was playing and you were like yes the nerve of the filmmaker to have chosen this song as the opening song and I'm like, that is such a good way to put it. The nerve, indeed, the nerve. The nerve. It's, <laughs> the nerve. It's amazing. It's like profoundly camp and beautiful, you know? And uh, so beautiful. And all of NSYNC, all those Backstreet Boys, all these, remember like O Town? Like all those fucking. O Town, yeah. <laughs> all those guys, all those fucking dudes. Was O Town the making the band band? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Where are they? (laughs) (laughs) But it's like they they had a moment in a certain era, and now they're like, who are they? They've dissolved. Whatever they were has dissolved. It's it's gone. It's a memory. It's a nostalgia. It's that's all they they are. They don't have. And those guys were. Those guys were also products of like some man going, I'm going to put together oh. these sexy boys. Yes. I got to find some sexy boys and I'm going to put them together and make some money. Have young girls slobber over them. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, yeah. That's... And that opening scene, I we don't really know what he's coming from. Like we know what he's coming from, but like he's on this bus 
Yeah. We don't know what transpired right before. Mm-hmm. What huge monumental fuck up or trouble did he get into that now he's like, oh shit, I have nothing. I got to get on a bus. It doesn't go even back. matter, right? Yeah. It's it like doesn't matter because we, we know. We know. We just know. We see the cycle of his life very clearly. It's like, oh, this is what he does. Of course. He got kicked out of the last place. Somebody punched him out. It's probably mm-hmm. another woman, you know. It's probably the same old shit, you know. And he, when he comes into his, uh, his wife and his mother-in-law's house, he doesn't take any responsibility. He's blaming others, right? He's like, it was their mm-hmm. fault. Like they fucked up. They did this. They did that. He's the victim. He doesn't say anything. Like where he and the, and the women know. They're like, we know what you're yeah. about. We know what you you did something wrong, right? Oh fuck. I loved all the actresses in this movie. Um, Susanna Son, who plays that little girl, Rayleigh oh Strawberry. Oh my God. Yes. What the hell? That chick. What's her story? Fantastic. What's Oh, I've been following her on Instagram. Oh, well. Oh my she God. She seems super cool. Yeah. And She's got this Lolita-esque-ness and, to her, you know? She's basically yeah, a Lolita in this film. Yeah. When then when she sings, when she's like, I'm a singer, and she goes and she sings a little bit, it's, because by now, we already yeah. see him trying to get his grips into her. Yeah. Um, and while- Talents are in, yeah. While it's genuine that there is like a, he sees this like, he's genuinely like, you're beautiful, I love you, oh yeah. my God. But he's also right. like, and you're my ticket, and I'm gonna right. use you. Th- yeah, um, he lies to her completely. And doesn't mm-hmm. expose he, the fact that she's his ticket. Yeah. He has to be in complete odds with the truth because that's oh. how he gets by. Mm-hmm. Um, but to know that he's like about to sink his claws into her. And then you see this, like this beautiful voice come out oh. of her and you're like, Oh my God, that's yeah. who she is. And like, she's yeah. got so much. That and, pureness, you know, yeah. that pure pureness working at a donut yeah. shop. Yeah. And she is an aspiring musician and singer. And she's not that confident about it. But we hear her sing and she is like amazing. Right. Uh, so amazing. And she, this, okay, because then we go to her house and it's this perfect little pink little doll house. <laughs> yeah, and, it's a dream house. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom's Barbie's there and the mom's house. not the mom's not mm-hmm. there and then because she's yeah, we not never there see at the, the moment, mother but then the father's right. not there at all. The the father's at gone. All. Not so even mentioned. Then you know yeah. like that's why she's falling Vulnerable for this because she's yeah. seeking yeah. this male attention, yeah. this acceptance, uh-huh. this love, this adoration. Right. And but she's also keen to it. She's yeah. like when she sort of reveals like um what was it? What's it? Mikey Saber. And she's like, Mr. Saber. And she sort of reveals, I know you do porn and I'm still right. here. And she reveals that right as the roller coaster drops. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's such an amazing moment. Yeah. Um, and his face of shock. <laughs> <laughs> amazing cinematic moment. I couldn't even So believe- good. So good. Yeah. It was Perfect like an all you can eat buffet. Um, oh yeah, that's such a good point. 
Yeah, and in that moment too, when she says like, yeah, I know you have this thing, this past, and this is actually who you actually are. You're not this Hollywood producer star that you said you were, but I still accept you and I love you, right? And it's that womanly mm-hmm. compassion, the female sort of, I'll envelop you and wrap my arms around you no matter what, that kind of thing. And he can't do that for himself, not in the least, because he's a fucking liar and he 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 doesn't see yeah it's actually really tragic like he doesn't see like what he is maybe to the core of his essence you know like he does have a beautiful body he does have this charm you know and he could probably amazing charm amazing charm and he could have probably applied it in something more productive that's less exploitative and not going to pimp out young girls he could have probably done it in like i don't know something one step higher like car salesman you know <laughs> like just something what? where because he knows how to make people feel good he's spent his whole life trying to figure out i got to give people what they want so i can get yeah. what i want so yeah. he does have that perspective yeah he does know what to say to make someone feel better he does know what to say to uh you know he, he he's made a, his whole life out of giving people what he thinks they want, what he knows they want. Yeah. And he could use that for positive things. For you sales. Know? You know, that's how sales people make their money. He could have applied that to sales, like right there. But, you know, even the fact that like when he shows up at that house, he doesn't say, I'm going to go and get a job at like, oh, wait, he does mm-hmm. try though. He did try. We saw that. We saw the montage where he's trying to get a job. Oh, I love that was right? such a great moment, the montage of job interviews. Yeah. Because yeah, and none of these jobs are like amazing. So it's like, oh, he's trying to get some whatever job. Yeah, fast food, kitchen, like administration, something really basic, start like entry level. And they're all like, oh, you did porn, so fuck off. So he's just And so vulnerable of his character in that moment, especially when he's like, I did porn. Right. Right. To just be laid all out there. Yeah. This is who I am, which is such a great yeah. moment of sort of like this radical acceptance of himself. Yeah. To say, here's who I am. Yeah. Uh, for and a job that isn't even. So he starts. So how can we blame him when yeah. no one's even going to embrace yeah. him and the way yeah. he's had to navigate life? Yeah. It's never occurred to him that he can just be honest, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, this, and I, I felt this in my life too. Like I can't do it the right way because it'll mm. never work. I have mm. to figure out some backdoor way hmm. because it, it doesn't work out when you do it the right way. Hmm. And so he's always having to like find the back door, find that manipulative way. And like, instead of just being accepted for who he is, Mm, yeah 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 and honestly i would have i i if i were in the position i'd be like you did porn and now you're here and you tell me great you're hired exactly exactly so it it kind of goes both ways it's like if we want somebody to embrace their authentic selves and love themselves for then we also as a society as the individual who is part of that society we need to have that open-mindedness compassion understanding the bigger perspective the humanity and the love to say if you accept yourself for that i accept you too and i th- i'm down with that i'm down with that truth and you being authentic i'm down with that yourself. 
Yeah. And I will not detour, I will not deter or obstruct your path. Yeah. If like you did bad, you're wrong. Exactly. None of that moralizing, none of that judgment, you know, none of that chastising or punishment, you know, everybody deserves an opportunity and a chance. And one way to do that is simply to say, okay, yes, that's okay. And that's what Strawberry, that Rayleigh chick does. Mm-hmm. And that roller she accepts him fully and totally, yeah. whether yeah. it's to her detriment or not. Right. Because um, the young characters, June and Strawberry, yeah. um, they seem so kind of confident and comfortable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, ideally, I like to think that Strawberry does not like become fall victim to his mm. bullshit. Um, right. Because he, I think he's receptive to it, to someone being like, cause he thinks he's bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. He's not working with it outwardly, but like he has been told he's bad cause he does porn. Mm-hmm. He's bad cause this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be fully accepted is something so valuable to him. Mm-hmm. This girl didn't say this about him. This girl didn't reject him. No. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, that ending is very, you know, it's like very ambiguous, right? We just, it's like the ending of Interstellar. We just don't, I mean, not Interstellar, was it Inception? Like, we just don't know, like, what, 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 was his decision like standing in front of this house you know looking in like what's he gonna do you know is he gonna knock on the door is he gonna take her or is he just gonna walk away and figure out something else you know and if he does what would he even do have you seen that film um knights of kabiria by Mm -hmm. fellini oh my god please check it out like i mean you're into clowning and stuff so um julieta mazina is somebody definitely worth studying like everybody you know, says Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, but like Julieta Mazzina gets overlooked so much and she made Fellini's career. There's this beautiful film uh, about a prostitute. She's a streetwalker and she, the oh my God, actually, oh my God, now that I'm talking about it, Knights of Kiberia and this movie are like the same. They're just, Ooh. yeah. The opening sequence is Julieta Mazzina's character well, Kabiria, her name's Kabiria. She's walking by a river with this man, like they're in love. They're holding each other and they're kissing. And then the man shoves her in the river to drown, takes her purse and runs away. She comes out of the river, like some, the town people rescue her from the river. These boys rescue her from the river. And then they give her, you know, a, a CPR as she comes back to life. And then she's looking for the man. She's like, where is he? Where's my boyfriend? Where's my boyfriend? And then they're like, he's gone. And she's like, no, he can't be gone. He can't be gone. So in denial. She goes to her little house and all this shit happens. She meets like a, a big time filmmaker. The filmmaker actually has a fiance. And so she's just kind of there as like this being used up for the good time of the evening just to give him a little bit of affection for the night. All this shit happens. And then she eventually meets a man who says he's like an accountant. And he's like, oh, my name is this. And I felt this real strong connection to you. I think I'm in love with you. I want to marry you. And she's like, you don't know my background. Like, I'm a, you know, she doesn't say that she's a streetwalker, but she's so ashamed of it. 
She's like, you don't know who I am. Like, how could you say you love me? He's like, I feel a cosmic connection to you. I feel like I'm in love with you. And she's like, fine. He's like, please marry me. And she's like, fine. So she gets over the self-shame and says, I believe in love now. This is happening to me. She sells her little house. The only thing that she has, she sells it, gets all the money. And then she and the man meet at this cafe and she's like, oh, like, uh, this is my dowry, like, into my marriage with you. I'm so excited. They start walking in the woods to go, the woods, to see a sunset. She's at a cliff with him. And his look does not look good. And she's like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, you're here to kill me. Oh, you want to kill me? Go ahead and kill me. Oh, wow, you're going to, my house is going to kill me. And she's like, take my money, take everything, kill me now. And he just takes the money and runs away in shame. That's the ending of the film. The ending wow. of the film, well, actual ending of the film is she walks out of the woods, she's crying, and there's a parade happening. All these clowns and like there's a wedding or something, like people are dancing and dressed up and they're like, you know, walking and dancing and there's like a parade. And she's like walking through the parade with tears running down her face, smiling. And and that's the ending of the film. And uh, I was reading some interview with Fellini and Fellini says, somebody asked him like, what happened to Kabiria after that moment, after that ending of the scene? And Fellini says, I don't know, but I still worry about her. <laughs> I know. And it's like, that's the same feeling I have for Mikey Saber in this mm -hmm. movie, which is that, it, he's he's Kabiria. It's the same. It's like we don't know what he's gonna be doing. I mean, he's flat broke, and he's completely been exposed. Like he can't come back to this home anymore. Home is gone. Yeah. Everybody and he, is. Everybody. And he's gone. the manipulator. He's the uh, abuser. Yet he's the one who like he's I'm worried one. about him. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, as an audience, like because he's the protagonist, we do have. We do have feels for him. We know we do worry about him. I do worry about him the way that I worried about Kiberia, the way Fellini worried about Kiberia. Man, you got to see that movie. It's such a beautiful film. I want to oh see it. Oh, God. It's so good. And um, yeah, and the donut shop lady, again, is like Miss Fan, right? She's the same donut shop lady from Donut Time in the in Tangerine. In Tangerine. Yeah. I love that. She's, and I loved uh, her presence and her relationship with like, with Strawberry. She's like, yeah. I bet they never fight. I'm sure they're always getting along. Right. And very few words exchanged, you know, even with Mikey there, she's yeah. just like, okay, okay. Kind of rolls her eyes, but which again, a woman of color going, okay, mm -hmm. well, okay. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to be like, um, I don't know, um, you're bad or get out of here. She's, right. There's an openness to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and boundaries, and, you know? Yeah, and like you like, can't do this, you can't do that. And yeah. slowly he erodes the boundaries. Yeah, he's um, starting to stand behind the donut counter, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, she, like I meant her boundaries as like a boss. You know, she's not Rayleigh's mother. She's not Rayleigh's guardian. So she's not going to say, I would watch out for him if I were. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do any of that. No, she, just she says, will not. She just says, no free donuts, you know, but that's still a very pregnant statement. You know? Yeah. And no free leaves donuts. That, leaves it at that. That's a badass bitch. <laughs> well, I, I remember mentioning that, like, 
all these surrounding characters um, demonstrated and would be so there for Mikey. Yeah. They would take him in and support him. And, and he has, he thinks all these people are against him. Yeah. When really they have all embraced him. Yes. Despite, you know, what has transpired. Exactly. Or maybe not even despite, they just do. Because mm-hmm. that, that is what actual unconditional love is. They just love him. They just, they do like him. They're down with him. The neighbor, Lonnie, you know, he's like, man, like, you know, you're great. Like, yeah, I'll give you a ride. No problem. You know? Like, yeah. All of that. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll give you a chance. Why not? It's like. How could this have... turn out bad? Me giving you rides. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? You know? <laughs> what do you mean I'm going to end up in jail? No, it's like. They just, all of them have faith in humanity. All those other characters have faith in humanity, I feel like. And that's why they accept somebody like Mikey. And they say, fine. They say, okay. You know? Because it's like, all right, he's a fucking troublemaker. All right, he's a fucker. But still, he's a human person. And we love him, you know? And that's why they keep saying, okay, okay, okay. So yeah, there's love at the core of it. But there's no self-love for himself. You know? That's what he always feels this desperation to do stuff, to fuck shit up, to make things happen. It just never had to be that way. Poor Mikey. Yeah, because he, such a great representation of, you know, the idea of community. Mm. Which, like, I don't, I was thinking about this. I'm like, have I ever felt this rich sense of community? And Mm. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I here and there, and as I get older, I do, but there was a community of people who took him in and he came from there. Um, So, so in a way he really quite easily got back to being a part of this community. Yeah. Yeah. And he messed it up all from (laughs) big time, big time. So the moral of the story is you got to love and accept yourself if you want the love and acceptance of your, of your community and your family and your friends. Yeah. It's, it's got to start with you first. It, it doesn't come from the outside in ever. It's the other you way really have to, mm-hmm. yeah. because if you, you know, if your worth is the acceptance you get from someone, then you are just mining and manipulating mm-hmm. to get that thing. And it's never going to end. It's empty. It's empty. Yeah. You're just a void that is just sucking in and exploiting and destroying lives and whatever. It's rampaging. A beautiful void with a very hung void. (laughs) Very hung void. (laughs) And see when he's running with his junk. and and When he's running. So liberating. So amazing. It's like a beautiful scene. And then when the the camera just kind of shifts down like just for mm-hmm. a second as his junk and back up. I like this movie is so good. It's so funny so on good. so many levels. I, I just I, I fucking standing ovation, eternal applause for Red Rocket. <laughs> and again, I did not hear a single thing about this movie at all. It was so off my radar. It's crazy. I'm so happy that we saw it together. It's Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Um, okay. 
before we go, uh, I always do this at the end of all my uh, podcast episodes. I ask a series of flashcard questions based on a specific K drama, and then you just answer them. Like think of it as improv. You just answer okay. them as you would if you were that character in that circumstance. Okay. Okay. So the show that I'm going to talk about today is called Our Beloved Summer. It's currently on Netflix. Um, let's say that you're a famous and successful illustrator named Che Ung. You used to date a woman named Yunsu for several years since you were both in high school. Back in high school, the two of you were the subject of a TV documentary series, but in college, she dumped you and she never gave you an explanation. And now 10 years later, the documentarians want to film the two of you again as a revamp, like a reboot of the special. And you need to re-encounter her, even though you haven't seen her in a long time. What do you do? Hmm. Depends on the dynamic. Like I would probably refuse if it was like something she wanted. Hmm. Um, or I would use it as a sh showcase to be like, she did this, she dropped me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Depends on where I was at. I would love the answer to be like, I would just not pursue it at all. I would just, I have moved on. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then, I don't know, the potential for clarity mm -hmm. would, would be a part of it. Like I would struggle, but to drop my ego and go, I'm very interested in doing this for clarity and understanding and maybe perhaps mm. reconnection. To process it, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And to give a closure, hopefully, okay. I like that. Okay, let's say you're Yunsu, the, the ex-girlfriend, the girlfriend. You're a woman in her late 20s. You're an executive at a PR company, and you and your ex-boyfriend both agreed to do this documentary again, even though in reality you feel kind of weird about seeing him face-to-face, -face, you know, because you feel some guilt over having dumped him out of the blue. One day, you hear that your ex-boyfriend suffers from extreme insomnia, so you make him some jujube tea, which is like a Korean tea. It's good for uh, sleep. And you bring it to his house. And when he opens the door, he asks you, do you want to sleep over? What do you do? Um. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, isn't that why I brought the tea, really? Oh. Good point. Good point. It's late perhaps in the night. Perhaps there is like you know? some, because she's in PR, there's perhaps mm. some acknowledgement of I dropped this person. Mm. Oh, my Oops, PR I... of myself is look how mm. helpful I am. I'm bringing you this tea. Right. Calculation. Okay, shit. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Let's say you're the same chick, Yunsu. okay? There is a really famous K-pop star idol named NJ. And you notice that NJ is always around your ex-boyfriend. She's really attractive, very rich, world-renowned, and she's always around your ex. What do you do? Hmm. I don't know. Um, ask about her. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd ask about her and is there maybe there's some like 
potential to utilize that hmm. for her advantage to her advantage again yeah, okay this person's in pr my right. perspective of people in pr is like not good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, okay, they're well, conniving. They are, and they're you know they're they're in the business uh, for business. Yeah. Okay. Let's be more specific than that. Let's say you're a Yunsu, you see your ex boyfriend at this live art exhibition that you were in part like producing. Okay, and you see him illustrating, very focused on his drawings in front of this crowd, and he looks kind of hot. Like he's really good at what he does. Okay, you kind of feel this attraction for him again, and then you see that K-pop star NJ show up and hand him a huge bouquet of flowers in front of everybody and makes a scene. What do you do? Oh, I feel like a real idiot. <laughs> yeah. That's it? Yeah, well, I'd feel like a really real idiot. Uh, Just feel like a dummy, be like, oh shit. Yeah, like that sense of like, and whether it's valid or not valid, we always look at someone like, oh, I gave yeah. up on that and now they're, yeah doing what they always said they were going to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What There isn't much you could do after you see something like that, but talk to your subconscious about it. Okay. Let's say you're the director of this docu-series, okay? You're, your name's Chi Ung. You're a different guy. You're also Che Ung, that illustrator guy's best friend, all right? You were best oh. friends since high school. But the whole time, you had a crush on his his girlfriend, Yunsu since you were all kids in high school, y'all went to the same school. But since uh, since she broke up, since they broke up, you were still always attracted to this chick, okay? One day, you had your hopes up to maybe ask her out, but then you hear that they're back together again. <laughs> what do you do? Um... <clears throat> I don't know. I'd probably try to make a play, some kind of <clears throat> messy male, uh, kind of like look at me, bang my chest. <clears throat> Especially if this is the person producing this reunion. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd probably handle it poorly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's say you're the same guy. You're the same producer guy, the director guy. Your name is Chi Ung. Your mother, who used to persistently abandon you when you were a child, like she would just like leave you alone at the house for like days, weeks, months, years at a time, and just like show up whenever she come, like feels like it. You had to really be self-sufficient since you were very, very young, and so you have this resentment. One day she just shows up again, is in your house, hanging out, cooking you meals playing the mother role and you're so like confused and angry about what she's doing and then she leaves again and then she shows up once more and says to you I want you to film me and you're like why why would I do that and she says because I'm dying <laughs> what do you do hmm. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> well filming her would you know I feel like inevitably create this, like, it would break down this resentment and we hold on to our resentments. We like, this is who I am. Right. Um, so there's a big risk in doing this. Um, gosh, I don't know what I would do. I would hope I would say yes. 
mm. and um, give my mother, you know, what she couldn't give me mm. in just being there. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, which would be a great thing for her if she is dying. Right. Okay. Try and when we, yeah. when we learn we're dying or when we fear that, yeah. you know, I forget what the, the chemical is. There's a it's abundant in, in us when we are born and right before we die. Oh, and it's sort of like this thing that like, is it Pitocin? Something like that. Okay. It's that thing that sort of makes every trivial thing go away uh. and you get clarity on importance. And huh. so that mother may be faced with like the, cl the clarity of importance and perhaps this is her way of connecting <clears throat> through what he does. Yeah. Right. It's a form of acknowledgement, recognition to be like, you're good at what you do. And I trust that you'll do the same with me. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Okay. Final question. Let's say you're Che Ung, the illustrator guy. Okay. Your best friend, Chi Ung, shows up at your doorstep drunk and he confesses that he's been in love with Yun Su since high school. <laughs> what do you do? Just repeat that one. You're the illustrator <laughs> guy. You're the yes. Ch you're Che Ung, the illustrator guy. Your best friend since high school, Chi Ung, he shows mm -hmm. up drunk to your house and confesses that he's been in love with Yun Su this whole time since high school. What do you do? Um, I, I'd embrace that. I'd say go for it. Um, really? Because if he's... Well, you guys this, are back together now. You and Yunsu are back together Oh, now. when we're back together. Yeah, okay, I yeah, get it. Yeah, um, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know why I left the K-pop star uh, <laughs> who brings me flowers in public squares. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what would, if he, he's telling me this, he's your he's best admitting friend. This thing, he's, he's upset. Drunk. Yeah. And he's like, um, I've been in love with your girlfriend this whole time since high school and just passes out and he's in your house. Hmm. I'm not sure what I would do. Like, uh, I might encourage him to tell her. Huh. Um, yeah. At this point. Right. Um, you know, if I'm, am I in love with her? You know, are we back together? Um, but if he's, I, I don't know. I, I try to be logical, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if I would see it as a threat because I've had her. Then I had her again, and then I had this K-pop star, and then my best friend's, like, crying, and his mom's about to die. So it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Shoot your shot. Maybe she can date us both. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, I'll share. Since your mom's dying, I'll share my girlfriend. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.